filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Guys, I'm really scared. I'm going to have to change my Twitter profile. I'm not in a good place about this. Yeah, I guess because you're you're bad at basketball. I'm not. Well, I mean, I am bad at basketball, but that's not why I'm in this situation. I'm in this situation because I proved this year to be bad at picking basketball. Yeah, not playing basketball. Not bad at basketball. As as I demonstrated, the only way to win is not to play. But that's no, you don't win if you do that. You just don't lose. The coward's way out. I mean, in our disastrous world of today, that is a win in of itself. I'm less. I I I think the the results, the negative results of having to change my Twitter profile because of an NCAA bracket pool gone wrong, is is not at the level of thermonuclear war. So I'm I'm not willing to say the only winning move is not to play. I'm still having fun, uh, it, just in a different way than I thought I would at the outset when after the first round I was in first. So for those of you uh, who don't read Freedom Kicks on the regular, our, our morning um, links post uh, at Black and Red United, we have a bracket pool going with the staff of the site, Sans Ben. And uh, the, the, it's very simple stakes. The winner gets to pick... A, a photo for the loser to use as their their Twitter avatar for I think two weeks is what we said. Yep. And uh, right now I am completely dependent on one result. If Kansas beats Villanova in the Final Four, I am safe from. Yes. I, I will not finish last. But if Villanova advances to the final, I will finish last, and this is bad. Yeah, because if Villanova wins it all, I believe I'm the one that gets to change your uh, your photo. Oh, gosh. Which, for the longest time, I, I hadn't even actually spent any time considering. Uh, because for, for most of the tournament, I appeared to be just like, I didn't think I was going to finish last, and I didn't think I had a shot at winning. Um, and it was only when... Goats, 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 goats. I don't think goats were involved in this one. Uh, no, but you should change. You should change his picture to goats. Oh, that's a that's a distinct possibility. Um, I don't know if there's a goat drinking rum. Um, maybe in a or maybe probably uh, be animal abuse. A goat drinking rum in a Indiana University jersey, maybe. <laughs> well, no. The, the part of the thing is, I, I wouldn't want to pick something that would make me upset, and uh, I don't really. Uh, think highly of the indiana hoosiers so but it would make uh, adam so mad because he's a boilermaker right That's but true. i'm i'm a unique boilermaker and that i grew up rooting for iu because both my parents went there so there's, that there's certainly a middle ground that allows for adam to be unhappy whereas i will be completely happy and that's what i would be going for <laughs> um, but uh this is what friendship looks like in the 21st century Yes, um, and if it's not me, then it's, it, I, I believe Ryan uh, or Phil uh, Quinn could also sneak in if, if things go perfectly for him. So um, it's not going to be good for Adam if he finishes no. last either way. But, but uh, hopefully it's not me, and, and our friend Rick uh, will, will be the, uh, the one who, who's forced to. Yeah, because then goats are kind of off the table, because I think Rick is completely okay with goats. I think he's um, better than okay with goats. Yeah, so I, I think it it becomes a completely different thing. But we'll we'll cross that bridge next week um, when uh, yeah. someone's going to have to think of something. Stay tuned, folks. I was hoping to be at the opposite end of the spectrum, and then the you were the, for a while. The Sweet Sixteen happened, and I wasn't yes. anymore. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome! And this is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson who hopefully won't be too mean to me on Twitter next week, and Ben Bromley, who 
We'll definitely be mean to you on Twitter. Yeah, but not in a way that forces me to change my picture. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about soccer and make stupid bets on sports. Uh, <laughs> this week, we are, we're talking about DC United's 3-1 loss in Columbus, and we are previewing <sighs> this weekend's trip to Sporting Kansas City. Uh, catch that one on News Channel 8 or MLS Live. Kickoff is 8.30 Saturday night. Before we do anything, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? So I may have mentioned this before, but uh, Charlottesville's Champion Brewery has opened their Richmond Outpost mere steps from my place of employment. And so I ducked in on Friday and got a four-pack of their Hogwaller Scramble breakfast stout. And it is a coffee and chocolate-infused breakfast stout. It's a little too coffee-y for me. I'm uh, I'm not a huge coffee fan. But it's still pretty decent. Are you drinking it at your place of employment? You don't have to answer that truthfully. Just blink. No, no I'm at home where I'm comfortable. Well, I mean, I don't mean presently. I mean, never mind. I'm not going to get you in trouble. Jason, <laughs> what are you drinking? Do you really think the folks that Ben works with are listening to this podcast and monitoring his every statement? I put nothing past archivists. <laughs> It's true. Uh, But uh, in any case, uh, the answer to your question is uh, I am drinking uh, Olmeca Altos Reposado Tequila. uh, Neat. Um, This, uh, I I talked a lot last year about the Technico Rudo brand, uh, which appears to no longer be carried by Total Wine, uh, as far as I know, which is terrible news uh, because it was dirt cheap and high end quality. Uh, So, that uh, market inefficiency is no longer benefiting me. Um, but Olmeca Altos is another really good option if you're looking for low-cost tequila that's actually legitimately good. Um, it's got a, like a grassiness to it that that's uh, pretty pleasant. Um, overall, uh, I, I really recommend it if you can find it. Um, their Blanco is also good, but their Reposado is even better. I'm finishing off a, a bottle of red wine that my wife and I opened uh, for dinner tonight. It is uh, Rioja Tempranillo wine. Uh, Campo Viejo is the the label. It's uh, it's pretty good, honestly. It's a it's a very good red wine. Uh, if you find it, it was it, you know it's a cheap grocery store red wine essentially, and it's pretty good, uh, especially for for the price and the. The fact that I got it in the grocery store wine section, which isn't always the best place to to buy wine, especially if you're just grabbing something and and checking out. Uh, let's impulse talk about wine, s- huh? Is this impulse wine? It it started off that way, yeah. Okay, year of like, wine. I mean, I impulse wine, and I went to the grocery store knowing that I wanted to grab a bottle or two of wine because I didn't have time to go to the proper wine shop. And this is what I grabbed and it ended up being a good, uh, completely information free decision. That'll do. Yeah. It worked out for me much better than this weekend worked out for DC United. It started with probably the best 15 minute stretch we've seen from the black and red in 2018 and mostly just went downhill from there, DC United down three to one uh, in what hopefully was not their last trip to Columbus to face the crew. Uh, I, I want to start out talking about the three goals against before we we get into to bigger picture things because I think each of these goals um, illuminated a different problem that we saw with DC United, and, and at least a couple of these could have been punished um, multiple times. The first goal, though, uh, Joseph Mora, left back, started off, pushed up very high uh, and, and didn't get back in time when the ball uh, came free. And then, you know, a, a throw in was forced, which was good to slow down the attack. But then Chris Durkin takes half a second off. Uh, Joseph Mora tries to a clumsy trap that doesn't work. Uh, center backs can't get to the cross. Nick DeLeon on the back post can't get to the ball and uh, it gets put away. Yeah. Uh, and it, 
I, I mean, I think it starts with Mora actually before the missed trap overstepping. Um, and that allowed Columbus to move up the wing and get throw in that eventually became the goal. Um, that mistake was small. The failed trap is much bigger. Um, it's just a basic play that he should be able to make. He should, um, the ball is kind of high and up near his hip, but in that case, if you know you can't really get uh, a clean touch on the ball, you need to shield it, turn it out wide, do something else other than try to trap it and not trap it. Um, and from there, uh, Chris Durkin lost uh, his man. Um, in, the, in the moment that Mora was not making that trap, Durkin was also losing his man. It all happened in the exact uh, same split second. And I know this because I've been watching the goal and hitting pause because uh, I apparently don't like myself. Um, yeah. And from there, um, you know, Columbus does some pretty good stuff. It's a little upsetting that Valenzuela doesn't have Paul Areola tracking him at that point. But um, the bigger problems for me, the much bigger problem, uh, is it, it starts with Mora just not making a very basic uh, play on the ball. And it kind of, it's a recurring theme that... Uh, DC United players, and it's been more than one player, are just making mistakes uh, that are like pretty entry-level mistakes, uh, and they're just screwing up in moments that they can't, and DC's paying for it. That was a theme throughout this game. DC United made mistakes, and Columbus punished them. And when DC United had the chance to punish Columbus's mistakes, uh, Darren Maddox takes a heavy touch, or the pass goes too long or just we let them off the hook uh, a, a few, you know, more often than you can in this game. And Columbus didn't extend DC the same courtesy. They they could have had four or five goals on corner kicks. And that's where the second goal came from. Uh, Federico Iguain got his 50th assist uh, in MLS with a, a near post corner that uh, Rico Clark, of all people, uh, he is still alive, and he scored in this game. Uh, looping header to the back post off of a near post run. And there were several other of those, uh, one of which hit a crossbar. Um, I can't remember which Columbus player two, hit that two one. Of them, two of them ended up hitting. Well, the yeah, the second one was actually yeah. Frederick Briant yeah. heading it on to his own crossbar. Uh, th- those corner kicks were dangerous all game and dc united has given up a near post corner in another game this is something it, it, at least it's not happening after the 75th minute but it's still happening um and- well i think it's i think it's even worse that, that it's happening so early because for the past couple of years dc united's center back strategy has been to allow crosses and or corners and the center backs can head them away uh when Burnbaum and Boswell were at their peak, that's what they were able to do. They were able to take, uh, especially in 2014 in particular, they were able to take any and all crosses into the box and just get rid of them. Uh, they could out jump and outhead anybody. And recently that hasn't been the case. And this year Burnbaum has been okay at that. Uh, Briant, not as much, but both together, they've just not been able to head away as as many crosses, and it's also a downgrade from uh, Bill Hamid to Osted. But it, it's not just any one of these individuals; it's a collective uh, failure. And the fact that they can't rely on crosses just not being a thing for this team anymore means that not only are they uh, are they weak against the counterattack against the passes through the middle? Now they also have to contend against uh, the crosses from the wings, and now they're they're doubly in trouble. It's not the crosses from open play that that are bothering me. The ones that are happening are on the ground and cutbacks, um, not not the kind of crosses that they gobble up. It's with the corner kick specifically. It's it's the type of corner kick that's designed to give them trouble and to cut them out entirely because it's a near post run. The The header is happening bef- often before they get, before it even reaches where they are on the field. And this is the kind of thing where you need to have somebody marking the man who's going to make that run or occupying the space where that happens and winning the ball. And that's not happening. Um, 
and and it's it's a at this point i think a coaching adjustment that has to happen this week in training where they need to spend time drilling defending those near post corners because Graham Zusi is going to be taking those corners on Saturday. And if anything, he's even better serving a dead ball on a cross than Iguain. And Iguain's really good. Zusi might be better. And this is going to be a problem on Saturday because Sporting Kansas City is going to attack those headers like crazy. Well I think I think what troubles me the most is that both both of the goals DC has given up on a set piece have both been corners. They've both been near post corners, and neither has been the opposing team's primary target. It seems like DC is doing an okay job of figuring out how to isolate the first two or three guys, but they're not able to deal with these fast runs across the face of goal to the near post. That's where Hector Vialba scored his goal, um, and it was a similar thing where Vialba is not known for being. Uh, particularly good in the air, but he is fast. And Rico Clark, even though he's in his mid-30s, still has some a, a good burst over short distance. And in both cases, they got, you know, over, over 5 to 10 yards, they get free, they beat everybody else to the spot because they, they get on a full run, whereas everybody else is sort of holding a position and trying to shuffle over. Um, and these runners are coming through at, at, at speed. Um, and I think there's a certain naivety in place with United uh, that they're not getting in the way of these runs. They're not slowing these guys down. They're not, um, they don't have anyone given a zonal assignment of that general area. And it's just, it, their job is just be there so that this slashing runner can have someone to deal with when they get there. There's no, there's nothing. It's just not a, um, you know, on this, on this play, Durkin went from marking somebody to trying to get in at the last second to save the day um, because no one else was doing anything. Um, no one else interfered with Clark's run early. Uh, no one got a body on him when he was going up for the ball. It was just, uh, you know, training ground finish. You, for him. you could have removed all of the other human beings from the field except for Clark, uh, and it would have looked the same for him. So, um, from a a coaching perspective, the set piece play is is this season has been unacceptable because uh, this team isn't good enough to get away with giving goals away easily. And I tweeted about this earlier. Six of the goals this year have been either glaring individual mistakes or set pieces. And if this team is not, I mean, they've created some chances, but they aren't particularly good at finishing those chances. So um, for them to get through all these road games, they're going to have to be difficult to score against. If they're making teams earn it, then fine. So be it. Um, But these corner kick goals, especially they're not DC United's not making teams earn it. Um, and it looked like Columbus probably, I mean, not only did they have the two off the woodwork, they also had uh Zardes missed one at the back post during the first half that uh, it missed wide and it was pretty much a free header. Um, so this game could have been a route just based on set piece play alone. Um, and that's got to improve. I mean, Kansas city, um, I don't know that they're that good on set pieces right now, but certainly they've been scoring goals. And I think United looks like a team that uh, is, giving them away. So if they go to Kansas city and they give up a set piece goal, they're probably going to lose. Um, it's that stark of a situation. If they, if they, they just don't have the firepower to, to spot teams a goal like this anymore. The third goal, I I'm torn on the angle to take uh, on, on the failure that, that was the third goal because it was a failure on the referee's part. Um, Drew Fisher botched the call. But it was also a failure on United's part to stop playing to complain about that. On the at least several players did, um, and instead of playing to the whistle, no matter how egregious the the non call, and well, Columbus I mean, did, did they actually stop to complain, or was it more of just a stop expecting a call situation? Because I didn't see too much complaining at the time, but I saw yeah, a lot of yeah, just being like, "Wait, that's a foul, right?" And then the ball's already gone. Right. Um, not. I, I, yeah. You're yeah. right. You're right. Not. Not so much stop to yell at the ref, but yeah. stop playing because you see that it's obviously a foul, and uh, Drew Fisher didn't see it for whatever reason. Um, and to my mind, it it, it would have been uh, Abu Bakr's second yellow, mm-hmm. and he would have been off, and United would have had a dangerous free kick down to goal and up a man. Instead, they're down two goals and even strength and as we'll 
discuss a little later, um, Columbus made the two goal lead stick in the second half. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a, it's a really frustrating goal to give up, not just because of, you know, not, you know, not getting that call in that moment, you know, it's two minutes after the goal. Um, United had a lot of numbers up. Um, and if, uh, Lawless Abubakar gets sent off there, or even if it's just the foul and the free kick, um, probably nothing comes of it, but at least you're not looking at three, one against, against the crew, Three one, you're you're pretty much sunk, and that goes for just about any team in MLS, not just DC United. Um, so to to have that happen and then to follow it up with just Columbus broke out on the counter and they were faster upfield than United was to recover. Um, it was something as simple as that. This one wasn't necessarily a um, single individual mistake as much as it was a, a team mistake. Um, the team as a whole got beaten down the field by the crew in a, you know, kind of a jailbreak counter. Columbus executed it really well. Um, I'll give them credit for that. They, they made that counter work. Um, that, that wasn't just blind luck to them getting up the field faster than DC. They really executed on that counter very well. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, United central midfield was missing on that counter. Um, they weren't really able to close uh, Valenzuela's space, or not Valenzuela, um, Christian Martinez running down the left at that point, um, which is on DeLeon. I mean, honestly, at that point, DeLeon needs to be close enough where he's just bundling Martinez down and taking the card. Um, mm-hmm. And instead, he was, a, you know, not even within arm's reach. He's not even within arm's reach of being within arm's reach. Um, and against Martinez with his speed, you can't afford that. So, um from the moment that play they play got um, from, I believe it was from Iguain to Ar- or no, from Artur to Iguain, Iguain got his head up and they were off to the races. And United never, they never recovered defending the initial ball. They also never recovered on the backside having someone track Pedro Santos who just ran in and basically just had to get there in time to make the tap in. Um, so it, you know Columbus is good on counterattacking plays when they when they do go that route, but. Um, it, it was certainly frustrating to watch United fail to sort of shut them down or box that in in that moment because it's one thing at two to one, but you've got to make sure that that dumb corner kick goal is the, the end of your dumbness and it wasn't the end of the dumbness. And, you know, as much as it's tempting to continue yelling, I mean, Drew Fisher just missed a very obvious call. Um, it's just bad officiating, pure and simple. Um, but. I'm more concerned about the fact that, I mean, bad calls are going to happen. This is MLS. Uh, yeah. DC United has to do better at shutting down a counter. Um, they had numbers near the ball initially, and they just didn't, you know, that this is something that happens. You know, if you, you push up and D- United was on the attack, they're trying to push up. They've got a lot of numbers forward. If you've got a lot of numbers in that area, part of what we call the repress is when you turn the ball over, can you win it back immediately anyway? Um and United wasn't in any kind of position uh, or menta- they didn't have the mentality right to repress and, and if not win the ball back, at least slow Columbus down and make them have to play side to side. Um, right. They just weren't in was, position to do any of that. That was a real contrast from the, the opening stages of the game. The first 15 minutes and uh, the first 10 in particular, DC United was, was pressing as hard and as consistently and as well as I think I've ever seen them for that sustained a period. Um, that's my son making an appearance on the podcast. Oh. <laughs> uh, but United, early in the game, they were forcing Columbus's goalkeeper to just sweep the ball out of bounds after a back pass. They were not letting Columbus play, and it it should have resulted in a goal and it's unfortunate that it didn't. Um, but I, I think that's a window into how Ben Olsen wants to play on a kind of selective basis um, where, where the team can press like that and can build out of the back. They're just not there yet for. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't even know if it's selective at this point because they've gone to Orlando and pressed from the start. They've gone to Atlanta and pressed from the start and now against Columbus. Those are, um, I mean, you know, Orlando will get there, I think, when when they've got everybody in the fold. But um, going to Atlanta and going to Columbus and still having the courage to go out and high press, um, 
if you're not going to sit sit in and bunker for the the opening stages against those two teams, you're probably not going to do it against anybody else. Um, so I'm starting to think that maybe this is actually just the idea is to make um, to come out at least in the early stages, at least for the opening half hour um, and try and press teams. And they did uh, make Columbus uncomfortable. They made um, not just Kempen had to kick the ball out a couple of times. They also were forcing these sort of like aimless upfield ball uh, to get out of harm's way that the crew absolutely do not want to play. They never want to have to play that ball. Um, and even even when they were able to get a pass or two on the ground going, we saw Chris Durkin um, just take the ball off the foot of Pippa Iguain, which is not something a lot of people get to say they've done uh, it, in this league. And we the mentality in the early stages was really, really good. And then once United were down a goal, it it the second time it it kind of faded and i wonder how much of that is on fitness how much of it is on this still being a relatively new team concept that they're working on and so it's one that they have to think about a little bit instead of being completely automatic at this point i think if if this is a year further on we have different questions but right now i'm still curious about how much of this is they have to think about it in their forebrain and it's not just drilled into their lizard brain yeah, I, I agree with that, but I also think that some of these people who are fighting for spots would have done more to try and secure those spots going down a goal, but it seemed like a, a complacency kind of settled over the team after that first goal, and people whose spots aren't guaranteed didn't didn't try to justify being on the field more. Yeah, I- I kind of feel like, you know, I, I've i seen a lot of talk about the first 15 minutes being good. In my opinion, it was really, even even after the first goal, and then they, they equalized through a really nice goal. Um, and I, I think it really didn't get away from them until about the 35th minute. And I thought a lot of it just had to do with um, Columbus sort of solving some of the problems that United was posing for them. Um, I think Columbus was caught off guard by the fact that they were being not just high pressed, but being aggressively high pressed. Um, Because I think coming into this game, you could say, okay, United high pressed Orlando and they high pressed Atlanta a little bit. Um, But they're probably not going to, if you're Columbus, you're thinking they're probably not going to come out with a, a brand new uh, central midfield and have to, and, and completely, you know, press to the, to the Columbus end line, which is what they were actually doing. Um, but I think yeah, they Columbus... were completely sold out on the press. Um, right. And I, the number and of I times think... I saw fullbacks defending in the in United's attacking third was it, there were several of those occasions, especially in the early going. And that I, that was something to see, too, like Nick DeLeon pressing to support Paul Ariola, who's supporting Maddox and Acosta. And it, it was a coordinated team press, which was nice to see. You know, but you know, Columbus solved it. Is is my my point? Um, yeah. and they they solved it on the field. The players on the field figured it out. Um, and from about that thirty fifth minute, um, Columbus started to grow in confidence. I, I think they also it took them that long to sort of shake off the fact that United was playing them a little more evenly than they expected. I, I got the air that Columbus expected an easier game than they got, um, and a different game than they got. Not just easier, but they were expecting a different approach from United and, you know, Columbus has a bunch of very smart players and they, they fought their way through it. It took them a while. They got away with some stuff. You know, the, the Maddox chance um, all starts with Jonathan Mensa just playing an absolutely horrible pass to nobody. Um, so they got away with that. Um, and, and I think they, you know, they showed, this is some of the character you see out of the better teams in MLS is that, um, they can solve the problem without necessarily having halftime come in. Um, I do think that from halftime, they then uh, increased their improvements pretty dramatically. But, you know, before that, when it was just, you know, Burhalter can yell from the sideline all he wants, but you've got, a, a yes, I know there were only like 8,000 people there, but if you've ever tried to yell at uh, 11 people, you try to yell specific instructions at them while 8,000 people are around yelling other things, it's not really going to get through very much. Um, the crew deserve credit for figuring out the the way they were being pressed. They they figured out some new angles to play, and United wasn't able to adjust for, to that when it when Columbus adjusted. United didn't adjust with them, 
And at halftime, when Greg Berhalter did whatever he did uh, to further adjust Columbus, United didn't have an answer for that either. And that's how the game goes. It's kind of funny because I feel like the second half uh, was more of a blowout in terms of quality than the first half, even though the scoreboard was 3-1 in the first half and 0-0 after halftime. Uh, this the second half United felt their inferiority against Columbus, yes. whereas the first half, the process from United was pretty good. It's just a bad outcome. Um, soccer a lot of times is about um, you're just putting you're trying to put together the best process you can, and hopefully more often than not it works out. In this case, Columbus capitalized some things. United didn't capitalize on some things. Three um, one happens, but um, the second half where United despite being down two goals, mustered one shot in 45 minutes. Uh, it really was like, you know, those old cartoons where the little guy is trying to throw a bunch of punches and is trying really hard. And the bigger guy just sort of puts his hand on the head and just, you know, sort of mocks the little guy's efforts. It really felt a lot like that. No joke. When I was playing youth soccer, I uh, used to taunt one of my teammates, little sisters, and then do that to her. I was a monster. <laughs> you do not be like me. Uh can, can I can I bring up my, speaking of the second half? Can I bring up my uh, my my striker thoughts? Yes, please do. We were talking about this a little bit on the pre-show, but uh, why not Dane Kelly? Even especially if uh, Darren Maddox might be injured and not be able to play in the uh, the the next game. Yeah, we saw we saw He's, Darren Maddox looked like he tweaked something mid you know in the later and, part of the first half and then came off at halftime Lindsay Simpson said it was just a Ben Olsen trying to change things up I I don't buy that for a second but I also I, I think um a couple of fans who traveled said that they saw Maddox come out at well after halftime had ended and he was with a limp returned to the bench yeah. so um something's definitely there he was holding it looked almost like he had a hip pointer he was holding sort of the top mm-hmm. of his hip um, but I don't know. Something is up because they wouldn't have made that sub unless um, he was injured. Yeah, right. and just Mullins has not. He's been more of his 2017 self and not his 2016 self. He hasn't proven that he has a lockdown on the even the uh, backup striker position at this point. So even though he's been a USL level forward to this point i mean he's with the jamaican national team right now so and starting for them yeah and so dan kelly has to at least get on the bench if maddox isn't available because of the uh amount of forwards they have on this team and he's gotta be considered to get some time yeah i mean mullins certainly especially in this game you know it We've been talking. I, I know we've seen some um, comments on the site. I think we had one comment that argued that Mullins should have started over Maddox for this game. Um, I think coming into this game, Maddox, for all of his maddening lack of finishing, um, clearly has been better in preseason and in in uh, game regular games. Um, he's looked better than Mullins, and I think this game, if anything, sort of pushed Mullins closer to the possibility of Kelly getting more of that time because. He just did not bring anything to the table. He was a non-factor. Um, I hate to say it, but that's the truth. I mean, it was a team-wide thing, but you know, when you're in, when you're the only attacking player on the bench, and that's the situation you had found themselves in this weekend, um, and you get subbed in at halftime, you've got to make a difference of some sort. And he just made no impact on the game. Um, he wasn't able to hold the ball up effectively. He wasn't able to find runners. It just he was a non-entity. Um, and you know, if, if Maddox is actually hurt, uh, Kelly is the more similar player to Maddox in terms of playing style. Um, he doesn't play exactly like Maddox, but he's definitely the faster player. He's definitely more comfortable running in behind than Mullins is. So, um, unless United has been working on how do we effectively win games playing with a back to goal striker rather than someone who runs in behind, unless they spend a lot of time working on that, then they should really be considering, uh, Dane Kelly right now because um, Mullins just hasn't it, it just hasn't worked with Mullins in games basically uh, other than against Houston when you know they went to four four two and they caught the Dynamo really sagging back I don't think they're going to get 
Sporting Kansas City isn't going to sag back for 90 minutes this weekend. So, um, you know, something's if Maddox is actually injured, if he can't go uh, this weekend, then, you know, there has to be consideration about what the team needs more than, you know, on paper, Mullins is, is the better player than Kelly. I'm pretty confident in that. But it's not just about who's the better player in a vacuum. It's who's the better player for this team right now. And um, a player playing the style that Kelly tends to play might fit better than the player, the playing style Mullins brings to the table. There were three other changes. Mullins was a halftime change. There were three changes to the starting lineup in this one. Uh, Chris Durkin, Ian Harks, and Paul Ariola all got the the starts as expected. The, the, those were not a surprise given the call-ups and injuries and uh, other issues facing the team. Uh, let's talk about Chris Durkin, who, who got his first ever professional, well, not professional, but first ever MLS start in, in this one. And in the early stages, looked pretty darn good i thought uh building on his his showings in the the first three games of the year kind of switched off for for the first goal but was at least in when united had the ball i thought was was pretty good yeah i think that uh jason will follow up after me but i I think durkin well, he didn't do as much as I was hoping he did. I, I was hoping he would just like conquer the defensive mid spot uh, uh, immediately, uh, which was a pipe dream to begin with. But to be clear, it's not like uh, Junior Moreno. I'm getting there. Off. I'm getting there. Um, but he did no worse than any other DC United defensive mid who has played so far this year, and I feel like he has more upside and. At this point, even if Junior Moreno is healthy to start uh, next week, I think it's a toss-up at best uh, who gets that nod. And I think giving Durkin another shot is probably worthwhile. And I I still want to see Durkin and Ulysses Segura paired together. I think Segura has some advantages that might pair well with Durkin. But until Russell Knauss comes back... And until Moreno can prove that he's what we think he can be, uh, start Durkin. He needs, he deserves the time, not just needs the time, he deserves the time. He's earned the time, and let's see what happens. I'm going to have to go uh, against both of you guys. I don't think Durkin played very well. Um, I don't, I don't enjoy saying it at all. Um, I thought he was okay on the ball, but was unable to uh, unleash that long-range distribution that he's known for. I think Columbus was ready for it. Um, I I will say that the degree of difficulty playing against Iguain, who is reborn compared to where he was last year, uh, and Artur is a big challenge for anybody. Um, but I, I think it definitely... Some, some things were, were made clear. Um, there are going to be easier games. This was definitely being tossed into the deep end. Um, and, and I don't want to say that he was outright bad, but uh, I think when Moreno comes back, he's more likely to walk right back into the lineup. Um, I think part of the issue being that if United isn't going to be the best team defending in transition, they at least need more speed out there. And Moreno is definitely faster than Durkin. Um, but I think maybe the bigger the bigger takeaway I had from this game is we need Russell Knaus uh, healthy yeah. as soon as possible. Um, because I think the gap between him and Moreno um, and him and Durkin is substantial. And this team isn't really going to, um, I mean, I, I will say Durkin's probably going to play better than this. Um, there are going to be teams that are less prepared for his style of play, um, for what he can bring to the table. Um, Columbus is an exceedingly well-coached team and it showed. Um, they were definitely prepared for Chris Durkin, they, they, somebody, somebody in there has definitely watched him play on the national team and not just DC's two open cup games that he's participated in. Um, but still, um, I I wouldn't say it was bad, but I think he definitely wasn't able to quite think the game at the level that he had to. Um, now that could have happened with Moreno as well. Um, but I, I think where Durkin avoided the giant mistakes that Moreno has made a couple times now, um, 
you know, the losing his mark on the first goal is definitely close to a giant mistake. Um, if not for Mora just simply not trapping the ball. Um, but, but overall, I, I mean, for an 18 year old getting tossed in against one of the smartest teams in MLS, it wasn't a disaster by any means, but it was also pretty far from it being the revelation that I think a lot of us were hoping for. Um, and I think that if, if Moreno, you know, Olsen said it was a week or two, if it's, um, you know, the earliest that could be would be this weekend. If he's healthy enough to play, he's probably back in the lineup and United is just down to hoping that he can play at the level he can play at for the whole game. Because I think with Kansas City's high press, um, I don't think Durkin's going to get too much time to do uh, much in terms of the long range distribution that he's uh, so good at. And once you take that off the table, you have to start con- to consider really the the high end problem with with going to Kansas City is just can you keep them scoreless? Because right now they're sporting Kansas City is like the bizarre version of themselves, which we'll get into in the next segment. But um, the defensive concerns are bigger than the offensive concerns, and I think Moreno uh, has shown more defensively, even though I definitely have my qualms about uh, fielding him again. Um, but at the same time, if, if Moreno's not healthy and Durkin's going to get the, uh, the nod, um, I think he's shown an ability to bounce back from not doing so well. Um, he's not the kind of, you know, sometimes young players, they just can't get it together after a bad performance. He doesn't strike me as that kind of player. He strikes me as the kind of guy that can collect himself and learn from his mistakes and be better the next time. So if he does play, I expect better. Um, and I don't think it was a disaster. I just don't think it was that good either. I agree with you that it wasn't it, that it wasn't great, but I also disagree that Moreno's performance is any any improvement. So my my main point is I think Durkin at this point is has shown just as good as Moreno, and you can disagree with that for obvious reasons. But I think he's been just as good as Moreno, and he I feel like he has a higher ceiling. The other two guys who who joined the starting lineup in this game, um, I, I think, were generally not considered to have done well. Ian Harks and and Paul Ariola were not as involved or as assertive as I, I think anyone would have liked. Harks had a couple of good moments. Ariola had a couple of good moments, but neither was uh, Ariola. Certainly wasn't the force he was as a sub against Houston, and Ian Harks was was not who. He, he didn't command the game the way I w- wanted him to from that number eight spot. He didn't connect the game. He didn't break up plays. He just wasn't quite at the level I was expecting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it definitely... There, I don't know. It just... It, it seemed like central midfield ended up being such a challenge um, this week because of the level that um, that Columbus was playing at that uh, I, I don't know that I think Segura would have provided anything more than that. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't that great. I, I don't think he was too bad. It's just that he wasn't really able to influence the game in either direction. And in that position, you do need to influence the game. So um just uh less than ideal but not i mean not really at fault for anything in particular just not quite able to um be a particularly notable part yeah, of, the, of united even though I, I will say during that first you know that first 35 minutes um i i thought he was you know involved and and pretty decent along with everybody else it's just that when the game changed that sort of he sort of stopped being a factor. Yeah, and I, I kind of wish we could, you know, do the Frankenstein's monster thing where we combine Segura's aggressiveness with Ian Harks's decision making in the final third, and you know, can combine other attributes of the two of them. But you know, Segura's game, other than switching off for a run, which has been a thing this year, uh, has mostly been been pretty good except for that decision making when he's on the ball in the final third which is something Ian Harks traditionally has been pretty good at throughout his college career and as a rookie last year even Um, if we could combine those into one player we'd have a really good number eight but 
here we are. Uh, Paul Ariola again, like, like I said, not, not as visible on the wing. I don't think we have, uh, we, we need to really get into that. Instead, we will take a quick break and be back to preview DC United's trip to Sporting Kansas City. Stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United coming off a trip to first place Columbus Crew gets to follow it up with a trip to Western Conference leading Sporting Kansas City. Yay! Kickoff is 8.30 Saturday night, News Channel 8 and MLS Live. Uh, check your lo- local listings, etc., etc. Uh, no guests this week, so we're going to handle this preview all on our own. The Sporks have uh, flipped the script on themselves this year. Uh, Jason said it last segment. They're the bizarro version of the Sporks. Um, In recent years, they have been one of the better defensive teams, if not the best consistently uh, defensive team as far as giving up goals or or refusing to give up goals Uh, in league play. This year, though, they, they've, tied dc united of all teams for uh most goals against in recent years the sporks also have had trouble finding the back of the net and this year that's not an issue for them they lead the league also with nine goals they have a goal differential of zero and they they lead the western conference welcome to mls ladies and gentlemen jason what the hell is going on in kansas city uh well i think defensively their main thing has hasn't been full-time like 90 minute of bad defending it's more they've been making individual mistakes which is a little bit like dc united making these individual mistakes and costing themselves goals um but i think and i noticed this watching the um the game they played over the weekend um they're not that kansas City used to be really good at in their 4-3-3, kind of cutting the field in half vertically and playing as sort of a human wall. And they just made it really hard to switch the point of attack. Um, They'd funnel you over to one side and then just keep moving you to the end line. And somewhere in there, either you lost the ball or you played an errant pass that wasn't going anywhere or something happened where they, you didn't get what you wanted anymore. They've got the ball off of you because that's what they do is they force turnovers. That's their whole, their whole, the soul of that team is just forcing the other team to not have the ball. Um, it's not about possession. It's not Peter Vermes thinks his team is very attack minded. They aren't, they are just, they want to make sure that you can't do anything. Um, and they're usually really good at that, but against Colorado, both of their goals come on just very basic lapses in that sort of wall of humans pushing you to one side and then taking the ball off of you. Um, the, the first goal especially is, uh, you know, Marlon Hairston is stationary, plays a square pass to Jack Price, who has all the time in the world to pick his head up and switch the point of attack to the left wing. Uh, Edgar Castillo gets it in tons of space and then hits a cross for Dominique Baggi to score on the run. Um, that's not How often the kind do of. You see someone beating Ico Parra on that kind of run. 
Well, and, and the thing is, it's not even just Opara. It's 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 all across the board. You don't yeah. normally see Kansas City just normally doesn't. That's not a goal they give up. They give up a goal because they get caught with too many numbers forward, and someone breaks their pressure, and all of a sudden they're short numbers. This was just watching a team defend stagnantly, um, which I'm I'm surprised that Peter Vermes didn't spontaneously combust on that goal because it's like the 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 whole way the whole way he's built his team and the whole way that that entire club wants to play is built to not allow that kind of goal to happen. Um, and that's really where they're letting themselves down is is their inability to consistently be the the front to back 11 player unit that they used to be now they're sort of uh, you know Kansas City one of their big things has always been that the, the they don't have the weak link in the chain that you can exploit and now they've got three or four um and until they I mean I'm sure they're going to work on it but I'm sure they also worked on it um after having to go to a four into a 4-3 game against Chicago or 3-2 against San Jose um their games that they've been winning uh, or, you know, this, this draw in Colorado, uh, was their first non-win, but they're being pushed to the very limits of their abilities. Uh, and they're having to find, uh, goals that in the past they didn't normally have to find. Um, it's not a sustainable way of playing. So it's, it's been interesting to watch them kind of lose some of what made them so great. And it's not that they're not trying to do it. It's not that they've changed you know, tact and they're trying to do something new. It's just that they're not really doing what they've always, they're, they're trying to do it. They're just not doing a good job of it. And in one sense they're it, it's almost like late 2016 DC United and that they, their identities suddenly, or at least the results have suddenly changed from being a very low scoring, destroy the game kind of team to run and gun. But unlike that team, Unlike that that version of DC United, which is, I think, what almost the platonic ideal of this version of DC United, you're saying nothing has really changed with the Sporks. It's just kind of, hey, uh, I, I don't even have the words to put it. I don't, I, I, I can't. I, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around yeah, the I Sporks being like this. The the way I'd put it is that they're being they're not choosing for this to happen. They're being put into a bad situation and finding ways to succeed. Um, they're sort of, you know, they find themselves, you know, kind of screwed and they're like, well, what, what can we do? And they get into these track meets, but they don't want to be in these kind of games. Um, you know, against Colorado, Colorado doesn't have much in the way of firepower at all. And it was two nothing after eight minutes. Uh, generally speaking, if you go across soccer games and look at teams that fell down two goals inside of 10 minutes, you don't find a lot of points. You don't find a lot of ties, much less uh, wins. Um, now, part of that is Colorado is not very good. Um, and so they gave up this comeback despite being at home, uh, which generally speaking, if you fall two goals behind at altitude like that, you should be screwed. So they do deserve some respect and they are getting, they're finding a way to get it done. It's just, they're not you know, I mentioned the word process in the first segment. It's not the process that they want to be using at all. This right. is this, they're very much in unfamiliar territory and then stumbling out and being like, how did we come out on top of this one? Rather yep. than saying, like, no, that was how that was supposed to work. This is going great. For reference this weekend, that was Colorado's first point of the season. Yes. They they were they had a, a perfectly terrible record uh, of all losses before that. Uh, I, I guess it was just two, but. The, the point stands, I think. Yeah. Do the you, single point does stand for Colorado. I know. <laughs> uh, how much does sporting Kansas City's roster turnover have to do with this? Because there's a lot of new names uh, on, on their team sheet. I'm looking at their lineup against Colorado, and, and Kyrie Shelton is a name I, I recognize from his time in at NYCFC. Um but I, I'm not totally sure what a Johnny Russell is. Uh, I'm only slightly confident in pronouncing Johan Quaze's name. And uh, Felipe Gutierrez is not the Felipe I normally think of in MLS. What? Ha, how much do these new pieces have to do with what what's happening there in Kansas City, despite their best efforts? Uh I would say they have a lot to do with the goal scoring. Um, Gutierrez has been spectacular. Um, he's their, I I would say he's their number 10, but he's not necessarily a playmaker. Um, 
He has led the team in shots, I think, two or three of their games. He has four goals already. Um, he's been spe- – he, honestly, he, you could say he's the MVP in MLS for the first month. He's been that good. Um, so that's definitely added something they didn't have with ben- Benny Failhaber last year, didn't have the mobility um, to do what Gutierrez does, which is just, he's just a, a whirlwind of activity. Um so he's added some life to their midfield that didn't, you know, Roger Espinosa isn't quite the um, buzzsaw that he used to be. He just can't cover as much ground. So uh, Gutierrez is adding some attacking quality, but also uh, just a little more dynamism in their central midfield. Um, so he's been great. Um, Johnny Russell came in from, I want to say, Derby County. Um, and he's he's looked pretty sharp from time to time. He's been uh, maybe against Colorado. I wasn't as impressed um but in the other games he's been you know he's the player signed from a championship club that it's going the way you want it to go maybe not bradley wright phillips level but uh you know he's got some speed he definitely works extremely hard he's physical um which i'm sure peter vermes loves he he seems to get the idea of what they're trying to do um i I do have to say i i quasi or, or however his name is pronounced i'm sure we're not getting it right um is a designated player signing and it just doesn't make any sense um he looks like a depth piece like i'm when uh gerso who played really well for kansas city last year came in i was thinking like how is how is gerso not getting a start over this guy um i think some of it has to do with the fact that russell's more of a wing forward whereas quasi is is initially it sounded like he was going to be their their number 10 um the felipe gutierrez signing that came much later in the uh the offseason um, so I think he's more of the situation that we see a lot in MLS where you've got this wide playmaker rather than a wing forward. Um, and I think maybe Vermes likes having somebody that tucks in and then somebody that stays wide is like kind of the dynamic he's looking for. And Gerso likes to, um, mostly stay wide. And then if he's on his, if he's inverted, he likes to cut in late rather than drift inside and playmake. Um, but yeah, the, the new signings. I don't think it's it's. I, I don't think there are issues in Kansas City. I don't think it's on the the new blood. Um, maybe that front three doesn't quite funnel play as effectively or uh, as it will in a, a you know a couple months when Vermes has had more time to drill them on everything. Um, but overall, I, you know, I think two three of the four are pretty good. Um, Kyrie Shelton will always be a threat as long as he's healthy and focused. He's done really well against DC United, so that's bad news for for this weekend. Um, and Quase is playing bad enough that I think there's a chance he gets dropped. Um, he's also got this knack that it kind of kills me. He's got this knack for committing these lazy fouls. Um, he had only three fouls against Colorado, but all three of them are just unnecessary and just pointless fouls. There was no tactical reason for them. It's just kind of stuff that just you shouldn't be doing. Um, so the, the new players, I think have actually, they've, they've on paper, this team should be better at what they want to do than they are. Um, and it really, it's kind of a frightening prospect. If they start to get the stuff that they used to be good at, if they start to get that right, uh, while still maintaining this amount of goal threat going forward, this is a pretty dangerous team. This could, this team could win the Western conference, uh, with with a significant gap if they can put it all together um it might be kind of a blessing for united that this game is coming now because it doesn't look like they're any closer uh at this point than they were in week one to putting it all together but um you know a couple months from now if they can figure out their team shape and they're they're defending this is a pretty dangerous group because now they've got some depth um they've got some punch up front in terms of goal scoring that they didn't used to have um, Gutierrez, I think is a somewhat regular player for Chile. So it's not, he's not just some dude. Um, he's, he's not a surprise. Like he's playing up to his designated player reputation. So um, yeah, it, it's a, it's not necessarily their fault. It's not these new guys fault that they're not able to do the traditional sports things. It, it's really, it's kind of a weird thing because they aren't really trying to do anything new. They're just not doing what they've always done that well. Um, it's the guys in the back, you know, we're talking about their front three and their most attack minded midfielder. Everyone else has been there for at least one year, if not much longer. Um, it's the same back four as last year. Uh, Ilya Sanchez is still the number six. Espinosa is still there. Tim Melia is still there. So, um, 
some of it is just the guys that were there last year are just kind of off for whatever reason. It's, it's a really weird one because it's kind of hard to put your finger. You can see what's going wrong, but the why is still like, what, why has Kansas City forgotten how to do the thing that they've done for, what, six years now? Um, that I don't have an answer for. So if you're DC United, how what what can they do to help ensure that, that Sporting Kansas City don't figure it out? I mean, uh, of course, other than not making inexplicable back passes to the keeper that come up well short and gift the other team a goal, and, and other than defending near post corners on a competent level. Um. You know, I, I'd say the the first thing they need to do is to not be to not lose their confidence in that desire to go out and high press because um, Kansas City hasn't been starting games particularly well. Um, not just this game against this Colorado game is obviously the worst example of how to start a game, um, but they just haven't been that sharp at the start of any of their games. Um, so I think going after them early is is a big deal. They shouldn't go into this being. Uh, fearful of of getting caught by Kansas City um but you know another thing they're going to have to do given that Kansas City keeps scoring so often is United's got to make sure that when they get chances they're putting them away because you know we're talking about so, somehow we find ourselves talking about sporting Kansas City as uh I believe the highest scoring team in MLS right now uh I'm not 100% sure on that but I'm I'm close to they sure are. Um, yeah, so that's a bizarre statement to be making, given that, that in recent years, their whole problem was um, they could always shut teams out, but could they actually get the goal to give themselves a win? Um, so I, I think United needs to go in without without necessarily worrying about Kansas City's offense. They shouldn't let that scare them into a defensive approach, because I think the goals are there to be had. Um, the thing that they really need to be good at, though, is taking advantage of the fact that Kansas City is easy to play through horizontally. It's easy to switch the point of attack on them. Um, if Chris Durkin gets the start this weekend, or if it's it's Junior Moreno, um, whoever that is has to find those pockets of space that Kansas City is leaving. And when they get those pockets, they've got to have pinpoint distribution to the other side because that you know Kansas City seems to be really easy to drag drag to one side and then switch it on them net right now. Um, and if that's on you're going to get somewhere. If you're um, teeing up Paul Areola and Yamil Assad in spaces like that, you're going to, you're going to create some real chances. Um, If uh, Nick, you know, Nick DeLeon and uh, Joseph Mora, they need to be getting into those spots too. Um, You know, Colorado's first goal came from Castillo as a wing back in their three, five, two, just finding himself with, you know, just an incredible amount of space, quite frankly. Um, those opportunities are going to be there unless Kansas City has a magic week of training where they improve all of their their issues in one week. That's going to be there. Um, on the other side of the ball, they really need if uh, if Quase is going to play again, they need to make sure that he's having to work to get anything going because it, he seems very comfortable when the game is slow, but when things speed up, he seems to sort of fade out a little bit, um, get a little selfish, get a little bit of the blinders going. Um, if he's seeing more of the ball and he's being pressured, I think that's going to go well for United. Um, what maybe worries me from United side of the ball is that they've been bad at tracking runners, uh, out of the midfield and Felipe Gutierrez has been excellent at making runs out of the midfield. So, um, you know, if, if I'm Ben Olsen, I'm looking at whether it's Durkin or Moreno, whether it's Segura or Harks, um, I'm drilling into their head all week long exactly what kind of runs Gutierrez has made so far since he came to MLS. And, you know, basically the idea needs to be like your first responsibility is when we turn the ball over, you need to know where he is. And if he's on the run, you need to get on the run too, because this is their, this is their main goal scoring threat, quite frankly. Um, So tracking him is, is a pretty big deal. Um, Trying to force play to their left, I think is also a pretty good idea because if you've got to choose between Graham Zusi getting a lot of touches or Seth Sinovic getting a lot of touches, you're going to choose Sinovic every time. Um, so I, I think United needs to be smart in how they structure themselves um, so that their press isn't just 
let's go press and see what happens or let's go press and force some long balls. It should be let's go press so that the ball is out on the left with Sinovic um, and we're forcing him to do some distribu- uh, distribution. Um, he got yanked at halftime. I don't know if it was a uh, poor play sub or if it was just an attacking move for Jimmy Madronda, um, who it's weird. Jimmy Madronda keeps coming into games and Kansas City keeps playing better when he's in but they don't give him starts. Um, so if that keeps going on, that's a welcome uh, mistake, in my opinion. Um, but it, it'll be interesting because they've also started Christian Lobato, who's not really a left back. They've started him at left back. Um, so I think they're not really happy with that situation. So even if Sinovic isn't the starter, um, it's probably better to funnel play that way because there's if there's this much uncertainty at that position, then something's wrong, um, and you'd rather have those guys on the ball than not. Um, but the main thing for me, it, above all else, they've got to be better at tracking runners. If if they give Kansas City easy chances, they're going to be giving them easy goals. Um, so yeah, the, the that's over overwhelmingly that's my main concern is just be better at tracking runners. And if you can find those pockets to switch the point of attack, then keep hammering away at it because you know if a team at, like colorado can get it done uh against kansas city then united should be able to find those spaces as well and take advantage it, from there um please uh finish if you create good chances <laughs> please put them in the goal so so what you're saying is step 1 create chances step 2 finish chances uh that's that's maybe uh an overly aggressive uh summation but sure. <laughs> You know, we we got to just drill down to the the very essence. Um, I think that's it for the show this week. Thank you all for listening. Um, since we don't have a guest, let's let's give out our personal Twitter accounts. Ben, yes, <laughs> give out your personal Twitter account. Bru Bromley, Jason. Uh, my personal Twitter account is at drill. Uh, D-R-I-L <laughs> if only that were true because drill is the best I, I, I can't take Darth. credit for that um, uh, it's actually at chestrockwell14 because there were there were too many Andersons and I gave up very quickly I am that uh, I am at the underscore AMT uh, at one point there was a hyphen and then in 2008 Twitter or 2009 Twitter like stopped working with the the hyphen and forced me to change my username and then it worked again i don't know why but the underscore amt is where you can find me find uh the podcast at filibuster dcu or uh, the website at black and red U. we are all from black and red united.com uh if you feel like supporting us financially patreon.com slash filibuster is the place to do that send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com Download, subscribe, rate, and review at iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, wherever podcasts are available. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to get the word out. And we really appreciate it when when people talk about us. Because who doesn't appreciate it when people talk about them? Uh, that's it for this week. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. And we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. It's the weekend, baby. You know what time that you know what that means. It's time to drink, drink precisely one beer and call nine one one. None of you are free from sin. <laughs>